Hi, this is Coach MJ on the Real Mission Impossible show. Today, you're going to meet someone who is the actual real deal in the spy counterintelligence world. She's the author of a new book called The Syndicate Spy. Her name is Brittany Butler, and she did nine years in the CIA. Welcome, Brittany Butler, from somewhere we cannot reveal where her location is. <laughs> Hi, thank you so much for having me. Now, Brittany, I'm looking at you here, and so my, those of you who cannot see Brittany, she looks like she's just stepped out of a fashion magazine. So oh I cannot God. imagine how you know she could have actually gone through some of the countries that she says that she's worked in, or maybe she can't tell us where exactly she was, but you kind of stand out like a model. I mean, you look like oh. a Hollywood star. That's really it, kind. What was it like? <laughs> I mean, I know, I know you're the mother of three children now and you're happily married somewhere in a remote location, which we can't discuss. <laughs> <But> <laughs> the author of The Syndicate Spy has experience. Could you just give our audience a little bit of background about how that happened? Why you had the ambition to get into that work to begin with? And just give us a little bit of a storyline there. Yeah, sure. Um, so let's see. In 2004, I did an internship at the American Embassy in Paris. And that was a really exciting experience for me because I really wanted to work for the Foreign Service. That's kind of what I went to school for. And I was studying international affairs at Florida State University. And I did an internship at the American Embassy in Paris at the State Department. And working in, in intelligence was something that never occurred to me. Of course, like I saw tons of movies and TV shows like we all do about James Bond and whatever. But I was like, OK, that would never be the line of work for me. Little did I know I had a little bit of a, a knack for foreign languages. And um, my first one that I learned was French. And of course, that's what kind of got me into the American embassy in Paris was my proficiency in French. And I was involved in some passport fraud cases while I was there. And at this time, 2004, it was pretty soon after 9-11. And so we were very leery about uh, people who shouldn't be getting into the country that was were trying to get into the country. And I had um, a good deal of uh, education on Arabic naming conventions. And so I pinpointed a fella, bad guy, that was trying to get into the United States that should not have been trying to get into the United States. And that garnered the attention of the CIA. And so I actually had somebody at the American embassy that approached me and said, hey, like, have you ever thought about applying at the CIA? And I was like, no way. Like, why would they want me? Um, and I also thought that like they only recruited Ivy League people and that it turned out to be false, of course. Um, but yeah, they were like, you should really apply on the website. And so I did. I applied on the website. And then that kind of started my journey. I was recruited out of college to be a case officer, which is the the individual that's in charge of spotting, assessing and recruiting our spies overseas. And after a series of like interviews and polygraphs and all that good stuff, I kind of decided that I wasn't, I wanted to be in operations. I was really passionate about the work, but I wasn't sure I was ready to sign up for 10 years abroad initially without really knowing a whole lot more about the job. And of course, when you're interviewing and being recruited, they don't tell you a whole lot. You're just kind of going off of what you know through TV shows and movies. 
so they they brought me into this room and they, I was there with a bunch of other people, of course. And um, they said, you need to sign this document basically saying that you're committing to a life overseas for the first 10 years because we're going to be investing all sorts of training into you and that cost the government thousands of dollars. We need to make sure that you are going to stay with us for 10 years. And I was like, you know what? I, I want to do this, but I'm not sure I'm ready to, to live overseas initially for 10 years. So I decided to um, to pursue a job as a targeting officer. And what a targeting officer is, for those who don't know, it's um, basically an operations officer that's in charge of targeting um, individuals for recruitment operations. So you're helping to pinpoint who we should target when, how, and you also do a good deal of analysis on their motivations for potentially working for CIA and um, what we could use to basically get them to work for, for CIA. And then you also do targeting um, at the CIA for kill capture operations. So you're supporting either our drone program or you're supporting our program um, in liaison with either foreign intelligence services or our special forces operators that are in charge of nabbing the bad guys. So you're telling the special forces who to get, how to get them, where to get them, all that good stuff. So yeah, so that's kind of the long and short of it, how I kind of I got into that line of work. How do you how do you break that news to somebody in your family or somebody, hey, listen, I I've, I've got this uh career path I'm thinking about. How do you how do you break that news to your family? Yeah, you know, so because the um the process the recruitment process is so thorough and that they go in and they for your security clearance, they go and they interview your whole family. Um, they interview two people at least, uh, all the different places you've lived. So not only do, do your parents know that you're applying for a very high level security clearance, your parents' friends know because they're interviewing them as well. So it didn't come, honestly, as a big surprise to my family that I was getting a job in intelligence. I didn't tell them for a while that it was CIA. I just said like the intelligence community. Um, and my father worked at DIA uh, for quite a while, a defense intelligence agency during the Cold War. And so he was very much against me getting into that this line of work. And so I kind of kept it, um, kept it to myself for a while. But no, I don't think it came as a surprise to to really any any of my family members, that is, that I was getting involved in that line of work. And how did you get into once you got got the job? Could you yeah. walk us through where you or did you ever get deployed in any of these places overseas? Yeah, yeah, I did. So I spent the majority of my career in the counterterrorism center. And within the counterterrorism center, I worked in the Iraq division and I worked in Afghanistan and Pakistan division. So I deployed to the Middle East. I don't know, four times, um, mostly to the war zone. I spent a lot of time in different Middle Eastern countries other than um, the war zones. And yeah, I mean, obviously, like they knew I was an American. There's not really a whole lot of disguising you can do um, that that's going to get past any level of security. So the places I went, like Iraq, for example, I, I wasn't going to like 
wear a hijab or anything to try to disguise who I was. Like it was very apparent that I was American, but then also like we, we were controlling the country then. So the, I'm talking like, you know, 2007, 2008, like there was no surprise that a bunch of American women were going to be there too. Um, but as far as like other Middle Eastern countries, I had to be a little bit more discreet and that, you know, you're always wearing like conservative clothing, especially in any kind of operational meeting, whenever you're meeting with sources or detainees, uh, you don't want anything to detract from the reason you're there, which is to gather intelligence. And you don't want to be portrayed in a way in which you don't want to, uh, you know, be sure. understood. So. Gotcha. You have to have your own integrity. You have to be, yeah. be make make sure that you're not putting anyone at as some boy girl situation because at the end of the day you're a professional. You're there to do a job and surgically get information which can save lives. Right, right, absolutely. And because you know you, you have so much in the media and and TV and movies, kind of portraying female intelligence officers as these sexual dominatrixes, you're fighting against this stereotype. Whenever, you know, not only against, you know, the stereotype that they see in the TV and the films, but then you're also faced with a lot of the same moral dilemmas that all intelligence officers face, which is that you're you're talking to these individuals in very dangerous circumstances. Um, in my situation, I was talking directly with terrorists and I'm trying to make them work with us and I'm trying to relay to them that we, we can protect them if if something happens, you know, if, if they're compromised in any way, but your number one job is to make sure of course, that they don't get caught, but your hand, you're, you're dealing with people's lives, right? So it's a very serious subject. So you need to gain their trust. They need to know that you have their best interest at heart and that you're not there, you know, to mess around. You're, you know, there I'm, to sure, get I'm sure that your, your work is extremely vital to national security and, and that you had, moments where you know where you were really really glad that you got into the service that you did and thank you by by the way thank you for your service because you did serve uh, your country with with honor uh, you. did you have a moment that maybe you could just give us a little bit where you might have you you were going to sleep at night and you kind of regretted getting the whole thing because maybe something went sideways or maybe you were worried that someone who had trusted you could now be in harm's way because somebody else let you down. These are scenarios that we see in the movies. So I'm just yeah. wondering if you ever had one of those days. Absolutely. I actually recently, um, I was interviewed um, by a pretty, a, a big national publication and they were pressing me for information on a particular operation that I was a part of. And I told them that, you know, I can't tell you more than what I'm already telling you because I could compromise sources and methods and I could, you know, put people's lives at risk. The sources that I worked with, you know, they're still alive. I can't reveal, um, you know, specifics about operations that I was a part of because I could compromise their lives, their families' lives. And it was very difficult for me to kind of walk away from the interview because it would have been such great publicity for the book. But I had I had my 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 moral integrity, um, I felt like was at risk. And I was you you make a commitment when you go into that line of work that you are going to protect sources and methods. And you have to be very careful about especially when you come out like you know, and start talking about, hey, I worked at CIA and yada, yada, yada. People want to extract intelligence from you to make a good story, but they don't understand that 
you have a duty to protect those sources and methods. So you can't, you can't go too far down a certain path. So I would say that like, you know, when I went to sleep that night, I felt good about what I did. Like I felt good that I was like, listen, I can't, CIA says I cannot talk, you know, in any greater detail about this. But then also you're like, God, that would have been such good publicity for the book, you know, but I think ultimately I made the right decision. And um, I know there's a lot of people that write, that come out of the intelligence community and they write tell all books and whatever. But I just I, I feel like I have an obligation to not do that. Well, uh, that's because you have integrity and uh, you have honor and we appreciate that. Uh, Brittany Butler is with us today. She's the author of The Syndicate Spy. It's not a tell-all. In fact, the bio said that uh, it was a mixture of a little bit of fiction with a little bit of fact mixed in and made her own concoction. And it's supposedly going to be a gripping story. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Uh, We'll be showing you a picture of that book here on the show. There it is on the screen. Brittany, can you tell us what inspired you to become an author now that you've done all this? Yeah. So I worked for an organization called Women for Afghan Women right when I left CIA. And I was really inspired by the women I worked with, uh, women who had survived generations of civil war and conflict and hardship. And I really wanted to tell a story that would incorporate them, their strength. And they, I was just floored by these women and that they didn't want to be victimized, even though they had gone through uh, all sorts of hardship under the Taliban and still do today, but they don't want to be victimized. They are very strong, capable women. And I thought, gosh, I would love to tell, tell that story. Um, And then I also wanted to change the narrative about female spies that were not these sexual dominatrixes that the current TV film and books would have you believe that we do use our intellect. We use tradecraft. We have the same skills as our male counterparts. And I would argue that it's been more difficult for us to operate in these environments and these Arab cultures in which women don't have equal rights to men. Sure. And let's, let's tell the story about two strong, powerful, you know, women and an American, uh, female intelligence officer and an Arab female intelligence officer. And let's tell their story that I think that story needs to be heard because women have been on the front lines and counterterrorism for generations now. And you just really don't hear about their contributions to the counterterrorism effort. And I, I think that that story is one that I felt really passionate about getting out there. Well, that's really, really brave of you to take that stand, but you know, as you sat in the saddle and you knew exactly how things were shaken out, who best qualified to actually put a story together with those values that could actually tell a better story than you? So, wow. I think uh, everybody's going to be really impressed with the story. And I look forward to the movie and being yes. invited to the premiere. Coach MJ, too. Yes, we'll be at the premiere. Uh, Brittany, can you tell us? Uh, in the in the book itself, um, where does it take place? Are you outside of Afghanistan and Iraq? Or are you always there? So it's it's everywhere. It's um you know it starts off in the Middle East. It jumps around to Europe. It's it's very much your um if you're familiar familiar with Daniel Silva's books, you know 
it's it's the spy thriller that you're used to, right? It's that we all love. I mean, that, that you all love. Yeah. But it's just like it's the fem it's the strong female. She's so are the you the female Jack Ryan? Sorry, I just had to say that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's what I wrote. The character I wrote is has exactly been characterized as that from my book reviewers. It's it's the female Jack Ryan and it's watching her story unfold. And, you know, she's the badass. She kicks ass and everything. But she also is extremely bright and capable. And um, you, she gets into the psychology of recruitment of spies and you get involved in her love life. You see her endure a lot of hardships in her life and how she kind of derives her strength from all the hardships that she she goes through both in her personal life and in her work life and how she navigates all that to basically end this a global energy war so i've set the book against a fictional backdrop of a energy war oil reserves have been depleted and the united the united states along with the rest of the world is kind of grappling for okay what's going to be our next energy resource and um, you've got terrorists in the book that are basically attacking alternative energy sites. And my main character, Juliet, she's in charge of hunting down these terrorists that are going after these alternative energy sites. And what this fictional world has allowed me to do is to talk about the realities of intelligence work, but to do so in a really fun, entertaining way. You're not going to be boggled down with like a ton of information about the Middle East or about counterterrorism operations. You're you're just going to go on this adventure with two very strong female leads and um, and have some fun and be a yeah. spy while you're reading. Wow. Can't wait. All right. Everybody's going to sign up for that. Right. So, Brittany, what was it like actually being over there, though? I mean, you know, you've given us a little brief about what your 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 job was but what was it what was the feeling like were you were you afraid at any of these times you said you sat face to face with terrorists and your job was to get information did you did you did you experience fear oh yeah yeah absolutely i i think um you know the first time i was extremely nervous because it was a high threat meeting and so what i mean by a high threat is we didn't know we we identified the source I identified the source while sitting in Langley and basically sent what we call a cable out to the field, to our field operations people and a case officer proposing that we meet with the source. I thought, okay, this guy, he had worked, he had walked into an embassy before, provided threat information. I saw that he was connected with all these high level um, targets that we wanted to identify. I, I sent the operational lead over there. We, the case officer set up the meeting. I flew over to this Middle Eastern country and, and uh, to meet with the source with him. But you never know. Like you do a lot of homework right before you meet with these guys, but you don't know what their true intentions are. If they're going to come to the meeting, strap with a bomb to them. There's, it's always a possibility. And so initially, yeah, I was nervous. Like we didn't we needed to do a pat down of the guy. We needed to make sure he didn't have anything on him. Um, I didn't know if he was there to collect information on me and my colleagues so that he could later target us in this Middle Eastern country. So, yeah, I mean, all of that was really nerve wracking, but I went in there, you know, armed with information. So I I get asked a lot, like, 
you know, what what's the best piece of advice that you could give a younger intelligence officer or someone that's just getting started in the field? And I think that especially as a female, you just always arm yourself with as much information as possible. You go in there and you make sure that you establish authority within the meeting and you say, listen, I know everything about you. I know what color eyes your mom has. And I know what kind of car you drive. And you just, you kind of disarm them in a way because they're like, oh my gosh, I can't really mess with this woman because she really does know everything about me. And then by establishing authority, you set the stage for the meeting. And so as, as long as I focused on that, as long as I focused on like the objective of the meeting, what I was there to do, arming myself with information, I wasn't as nervous but of course like initially like i spoke about in the high threat meeting like i was scared shitless thinking oh god this guy could like totally come to the meeting with a bomb strapped to him right but um but everything was fine and he ended up working with us and we did great things together awesome awesome yeah you know your your story is in the backdrop is afghanistan where still today the taliban uh, do not allow uh girls over the age of eight years old to learn in schools. Uh, and yeah. one of your life's missions so far is helping to, 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 to work with the women of Afghanistan. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, a lot of my work right now is with the refugee community, um, that is settling into Charleston. And, uh, there's a great organization out there, the Lutheran services of the Carolinas, they have done a great job assisting not only Afghan refugees, but Ukrainian refugees and helping them to establish their lives here um, in the United States. Um, and so I I find that that's probably the best way I can help at the moment. Um, things in Afghanistan, as you know, they're just a mess. And so it's really hard to get aid to the right people over there um, to make sure that um, you know, we're helping to further what we can in terms of women's rights. It's just, it's a very difficult situation. So I have, I have concentrated on the women here who served and, you know, the helped the U S mission in Afghanistan. That's a lot of who we evacuated from the country. These are former translators or their husbands were translators or their husbands flew helicopters or they went out on military raids. Like these, these people sacrificed so much for us in terms of defeating the Taliban initially and taking down Al Qaeda. Um, and I think we really owe it to them to honor those commitments, honor those relationships that we built with them and make sure that we help to provide them with the best life we can here in the United States. And, and by that, I mean, you know, just helping them get English um, training, helping them, you know, acclimate to, okay, this is how you go to the grocery store here. This is how to get your children's pediatrician yeah. appointments. Right. I've given, you know, car rides to people getting to work, um, you know, that don't have cars yet. I, I, I also work with a woman who, you know, speaks Pashtun and Dari and, you know, her and I have gone to T-Mobile together with these women and help them get phones and phone Hi. plans and so forth. So, so yeah, so I think that, and, and these women are the ones who know how to get money to the right places in Afghanistan. It's, um, you know, it's, it's hard to identify. It would be hard for me to identify a particular organization that I would say, okay, this is who to donate to in Afghanistan to help with we women's rights. Um, 
right now, I just think things are in such upheaval that it like helping the local Afghan community here, the people that are trying to make a better life for their families, um, I think is the best way. And then those can those women can help help you get connected if you want to you know donate money to women in Afghanistan that want to buy books or want to learn something. Um, and then, of course, like, you know, trying to do what we can to support the opposition in Afghanistan, um, you know, against the Taliban. The Taliban are never going to change. They never cha changed in the first place. They never honored women's rights. It was always going to go downhill. All of their promises, they've gone back on all their promises whenever we pull out of the country. So I think it's, you know, identifying, and I don't have that question today, but I would like to see our lawmakers identify who is the right opposition to out the Taliban and empowering the people of Afghanistan to stand up for their rights, to stand up, to make a change within their own country. I think anytime the United States has gone in and we've tried to do it ourselves, it's just like, does it work? Right. Cause like culturally we just like, we'll never understand, you know, their, you know, how they want to run things in their own country. And it's really just not even our job. I don't think to, tell people how to form governments and how to run their countries. But if there are people within the country, and I know that there are, that want a better future for their children, want a better education system that supports their their um, their wives, their daughters, their sisters, that you know, I, I want to do everything I can to empower them and to enable change in the country through Afghans. Wow, what an incredible legacy that is. And we're talking with Brittany Butler, author of The Syndicate Spy, served nine years uh, with the CIA as an intelligence officer and has walked the walk and today is a role model and is now reaching out to former Afghan well, Afghani women who tried to migrate here to the U.S. and looking ways to support them. We'll drop in all the links if you're listening to this on our podcast and also to links to her book, new book that's just coming out, and you'll see that also. So, for all of us, thank you so much for your service, Brittany. It's been a pleasure and an honor to meet you. And I'll just be thrilled to, to come to that movie premiere. Save me two seats there right in the front row. Wonderful. We'd love to have you. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you.